think about radio, you think about bottom lines, you think about consolidation, at least in commercial sense, and you think about automated systems taking over people's jobs. And in college radio, because we're not tied to that bottom line, the conversation is different. That's general manager at College Station, KVCU, Radio 1190, Mikey Goldenberg. He is the non-student professional running the University of Colorado Boulder's radio station. And here is Ebony Statham, general manager at The Sock, the sound of Colorado College. She is a student who found out about college radio almost by accident. Whoa, this is super cool that people have this. And this is like a thing that students can run and people actually listen to it. So that was pretty much how I found out. Today on the show, we take a tour of both of these radio stations. One can be heard throughout the state on the AM dial and soon on FM as well. The other is an online station that is heard mostly in the on-campus dining hall. Jennifer Waits of College Radio Watch toured them both and found reasons to get excited. Plus, she dug into their history as well. All this on Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. Stay tuned. My name is Eric Klein. Paul Reismandel is off this week, and we're going to go on a little journey throughout the Colorado-Denver area, a college radio watch journey. We're joined on the line via Skype with Jennifer Waits for College Radio Watch. Hello, Jennifer. Hey, Eric. Hey. Hi. You went on two. We're going to talk about two college radio tours in the Denver area. Yes. Sort of. It's part of my series of road trips from Denver. Quite a rich radio landscape for community radio and college radio. Yeah, there's a lot of radio in Colorado. So I was I was happy to be able to do several road trips in order to see some stations as far north as Fort Collins and as far south as Colorado Springs. Yeah, get out your maps, everybody. So today we're going to talk. Maps. Today we're going to talk about uh, Colorado College and then the University of Colorado Boulder. Where, where is Colorado College? Colorado College is in Colorado Springs. Okay. Um, uh, so I went to Colorado College and met up with the general manager at the student radio station. Uh, the station is called the Sock which um, is spelled out as the S-O-C-C, and it stands for the Sounds of Colorado College. But I, I was interested to hear that they pronounce it the sock. <laughs> I hadn't anticipated that when I saw it written out. So I met up with the general manager there, Ebony Statham, and she showed me around their humble home in sort of the corner of an entryway to a dorm. So yeah, this is Sock, Sounds of Colorado College. It's a small station in a dorm hall called Bemis. Um And we have about a hundred or so DJs. We're online streaming. Um, we stream also in the dining halls, which is great because it allows for students to actually hear and like they don't have to go on our website to listen. So yeah, we're a small free-form station. Um, we're pretty much open in terms of like content and who's able to DJ. And we just train everyone and we're super open to people's ideas. So it's a small liberal arts school. Um, it was the summer, so right. it was really quiet. And she said that she could walk several blocks during the summer on campus and only see one person. You know, <laughs> it was very, very quiet. But like many college radio general managers, she was sticking around for the summer and working on station projects. Um, she's a student, so it's a student-run station. And a big project that she had to work on was finding a new streaming provider because they had a relationship with the public radio station that is also owned by Colorado college. 
and that relationship was changing. So they weren't going to be hosted on Mm. there by them anymore. So she was working on finding a new way to stream. Ah, It's one of her big projects. A real big deal since uh, we're talking about the, the sock is an online radio station there at Colorado college. Yeah. And interesting, you know, I always want to dig up the history. um, Even if people at a station don't always know the history of a station, I, I try to dig into it and that's what you do. It turns out at Colorado college back in 1944, uh, the radio and drama department started up sort of a radio program and used a PA system to broadcast <laughs> things that they were doing in their radio classes. Wait. <laughs> they just literally just set up a bunch of speakers. and Yeah, which was not uncommon at all. There are other stations from that time period who use PA systems like, oh, I... I think San Francisco State Station. Sure, yeah. Why I may not? have also used a PA system. Okay, so it's they're not necessarily in the same room as as where the speakers are. It's it's it is a little like radio, right? Or yeah, a lot to be, like radio. It could you could have speakers all over campus, so yeah, it's pretty cool. And then they um, started up a carrier current station around 1946, mm-hmm. and then in 1951. They got an FM frequency. Everybody should check out our carrier current episode if that if those words I don't make know. sense to you. Um, so they went FM in 1951, and and then by 1968, the FM station became more of an extracurricular student activity. So up to this point, it was more of an academic radio program. And then by 1978, some non-students were invited to participate, and then it became an NPR affiliate starting in 1984. Aha. So that station. KRCC is now professionally run, not much student involvement. And like I mentioned, until recently, it hosted the online stream for the student station, the SOC. And as far as I can tell, the SOC started around 2008 when it was founded by students. And it was originally in the basement of this FM station, KRCC. So it's interesting to see kind of that path of how students were involved with this longtime station and then it became really a professionally run station. So students, yeah. And so then students, you know, clearly at some point decided, Hey, we want our own station again. So they founded their streaming station. Right. It's a, it's a familiar tale actually, when we talk about stations that you've dug into the history, this is not an unheard of pattern. That a, that a student college station would um, transition over the generations into an NPR professional affiliate type station. And so, you know, what I'm interested in is the fact that uh, what were what was the relationship that that the SOC, our online radio station that we're talking about at Colorado College, what relationship did it have with um, this uh, former college station, the KRCC, the NPR affiliate? And uh, why why are they severing ties? Do you know? What's going on? You know, it's it's hard to get a handle on all of that um, yeah, in its sure. entirety. But, um, you know, I think they were really like sort of mentors for the station. Yeah, which is the kind um, of thing we love to hear about at yeah. College Radio Watch. So I think um, just in the simplest terms, it, it seems like there might have been some changes at KRCC. And in the process of that, they decided it would, it would be more beneficial for the two organizations to be separate. So that's that's pretty much all I know. And that was a very recent decision that happened, I think, just months before I visited. Mm-hmm. So I think they're still just trying to sort it all out. 
Um, sure. Well, we still we still uh, hope that people can uh, can talk to one another and work with each other in that radio community there. Since I mean, I'm assuming that KRCC is is nearby. Yeah, I didn't visit KRCC, but it is nearby. Um, and in the academic year, you know, like in the few months before I visited, it sounds like they had had a student show on that station as mm-hmm. well. So there were definitely some opportunities for student involvement there. Um, just, you know, not the way it was back in the olden days. Yeah, the 80s. So tell me more about about the sock. What are they up to? So, um, well, I wanted to... One thing that I thought was interesting in talking to Ebony was finding out how she heard about college radio in the first place, um, because we hear so many things about young people, you know, allegedly not listening to the radio, not being interested in radio, which if you listen to all my tours, it disputes that because (laughs) there are tons of young people involved in college radio. If you listen to Radio Survivor, the podcast will... We will dispute it with both fact, opinion, emotion, and anecdote. Yeah. That's pretty much what we're here to do. I know. So um, so when I was talking to Ebony, um, I was really interested to hear that she actually learned about college radio while she was going on campus visits during her college search. Ah. So I thought we might. I know. So I thought we might hear a bit of um, the audio for our interview where she talks about that. Great. I think it was kind of an accident how I found out about college radio. So I was visiting schools, and I applied to way too many schools, like 11 or so. And I visited Bowdoin College, and I was just doing a tour, and then someone was like, oh, let's go check out this radio station. They have openings. So I pretty much went inside, met their manager, and um, she taught us, like, a brief introduction of how to, like, use their soundboard. So... Pretty much, I was like, whoa, this is super cool that people have this. And this is like a thing that students can run and people actually listen to it. So that was pretty much how I found out. Well, isn't that that just uh, that just tugged at my heartstrings right there? The the idea that you um, <laughs> so, you know, prior to that clip, you had mentioned a old saw. Uh, kids don't care about the radio. Here we have an anecdote. Like I said, sometimes we use anecdotes to prove this <laughs> this thing wrong. Uh, here we have an anecdote where Ebony Statham is uh, touring Bowdoin College and someone shows her that a radio station exists on campus and she's hooked. All you have to do is show the young people that the radio's out there and the ones who are going to be attracted to it, um, they're going to stick to it. They're going to love yeah. it. Yeah, and then you have you end up having a future college radio general manager. Right. It's pretty awesome. And, and, you know, I don't know how often college radio stations are on official campus tours, but, you know, I hope they are. I right. Think. And uh, three cheers for the whoever that was at Bowdoin. I think she said it was the station manager who was open to having the tour uh, enter her sanctum and showed the young people on the tour, showed them the radio station because that kind of uh, she was an ambassador to radio that day. Yeah, it's really cool. And then, you know, so later later in my interview with Emini, she talks about her early days at the station, which I think is also a great glimpse into not only how do you find out about a station, but what is that entry like? What are your first moments like at a college radio station? So I think we'll listen to that now as well. One time, um, freshman year, when I had my radio show, I was just in here just playing music, and then there was a knock on the door, and I was like, who is here? So I 
didn't really invite that many people <laughs> to come and like participate with me in the beginning of my um, radio show. So I opened the door and it was like one of a, he wasn't a close friend, but I knew him from like a few classes and things. And he just came and then he just wanted to freestyle. So <laughs> he just um, freestyled for like um, 10, 15 minutes or so. And it's just like a really funny memory because I had friends who were listening and um, we had this place called the Sea Store, which is kind of a small grocery store on campus. And they happened to be listening to my show then and were playing it for all the customers. So they heard him freestyle and they were like, what's going on? Like, this is cool. And it's great because those, um, the friends that were listening ended up getting their own radio show. And they ended up freestyling for their radio show, so that was pretty much their whole show, and it was really great because there's like three girls just freestyling, <laughs> and they had a really good time slot, so a lot of people were able to hear and listen to them. So that's pretty much my favorite radio memory, I would say. Ah, that makes me so happy. Freestyling on the radio, college radio, uh, you know, bringing people together and sharing culture. It makes me. I- it makes me wish I knew more about the history of college radio and hip hop. Cause I know that that's not, I'm not familiar with people doing live hip hop performances on their radio show. I'm not as familiar as I would like to be, but I know that it's actually been a part of the hip hop radio landscape uh, since, since the beginning. Oh yeah. There's a huge tradition of that. And I know from stations where I've DJ that, you know, there's a whole community of people who often come in on certain shows to freestyle. Yeah. It becomes part of the legacy of, of that show, not just, you know, whoever the main host is, but also the whole crew of people who regularly participate. I love it because it's um, it's such a melding of the potential of, of radio uh, with the the live the live aspect and the performance aspect with the recorded music. um and it's so it's so much more of a boundary pushing uh, way to make radio to to bring people in and to allow them to uh, create live hip hop poetry uh, for their community. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, <laughs> and I like I like the whole community element of the story that she told that, you know, she was in the booth alone and answered the door, brought somebody in. And then there was a community of listeners um, kind of the cool thing about the station is that it gets played in dining halls and also got played um, in this campus store that she mentioned. So it sort of broadens, even though it's not a terrestrial station, it's getting played in some of these public spaces on campus. Um, So then that is probably helping with listenership. And, and something I want to point out is this is a really small college of around 2000 people. Mm -hmm. And Ebony told me that they have around a hundred people who participate at the station. So it's a really active station with a high percentage. If you think about colleges that have much larger student populations and the number of people who participate in the radio station, you know, the percentage participating at Colorado college is really high. How exciting. So I, to me as like a fellow small college alum, it warms my heart to hear about, that it's a tight community and that it's a large percentage of the campus community. Yeah. And the fact that people are listening to each other because that's important. So, yeah. um, You know, another thing, uh, like I've already said, I'm always interested in history and how a station documents its history. And Statham told me she didn't know much about the beginnings of the SOC 
And she also explained it's been a challenge to even archive recent station history. And, and this is something that's been coming up for me in a lot of conversations with stations. Like, how do you, how do you preserve your station's history on an ongoing basis? Yeah, it's so hard just to get some good radio out in, in, the, in the moment, let alone to look backwards on what you just did. Yeah, and also to think about, well, how do we preserve what we're doing in the moment? Um, so not even the sometimes Herculean task of going back to the very beginning, but how do we make sure that we're keeping track of what we're doing today? Yeah. So she talks about that a little bit in this next bit of the interview. Do you guys do anything to document your history, even your ongoing history? That's been a big issue because... There has been no documentation. Um, I've realized that student groups are really bad at documenting history here. So a lot of times when people get involved in things, they just have no idea what has happened before. But um, there is a Dropbox that a few people have kept. I think it's been about five or so years. But there, ha there isn't too, too much information on there. So I'm trying to do a better job at documenting things. I take a bunch of notes, and I'm trying to have, like, a list of our events that keeps, like, being added up forever and ever. And I guess, like, Facebook page is a really good, great, really good way of documenting things because we put all of our events and things on there. Um, we had to um, create a constitution for student government in order to have like validity as a student group and a lot of people um, I guess some groups had past constitutions that they could just update but we didn't really have a past constitution so pretty much had to create one from scratch so I I found this really interesting and and I think what Ebony is saying it really points to how important it is to work on a plan to save information about not only your station's history you know how it was founded when it was founded but also how it operates, like manuals for equipment and computers, but also its stories. And and I was intrigued that they're using Facebook as a way of archiving a list of events. Um, yes. So I, that that was a red flag for me, but also so exciting because Facebook is so useful because that's where so many people are every day. So when you are a community station and you put your uh, information on Facebook – you have a much higher chance of people seeing it, even if you put it on your own website, probably. But then uh, it's on Facebook, and it's not somewhere where you can control. And it's not a given that 10 years from now, you'll be able to see it again. Am I wrong? Well, yeah, and it's tough. Like, on the one hand, it's super easy. Um, so I like that idea. But then yeah. I was, I, I'm also thinking about, is there an easy way for you to pull out the list of events that you've posted on Facebook. You know, if you're using that as a, as a place to archive, it might not be the best place to archive. It's not an archive. You almost, like, I was thinking, like, well, I guess you could take screen grabs of everything and save those screen grabs on a disk somewhere so that you also have an archive. Uh, that would be a totally unsearchable and um, pretty... Pretty, pretty daunting task if you think about having a decade's worth of screen grabs to try to find right. something in the past. Um, I guess I guess there's probably a way to make a copy of what's going up on Facebook, but man, I don't even know. I wouldn't and, know how to go about doing that without literally copying and pasting everything off of the Facebook page. 
Yeah, and maybe there are tools. Um, you know, I had a friend who was documenting a really interesting part of her life using Facebook posts, and and at the time, I remember having conversations about there must be a way of converting this into something that's diary like that you can save yeah. offline somewhere. So there might be tools um, we'll for you to, to do that, but it you know it calls into question like how do stations ensure that information is accessible for future station staff members. So is it in a computer file that's not going to be able to be read years from now? Is it on a social media platform that's going to go away? Like think about all the MySpace information that stations probably posted years ago that, you know, they, and their MySpace pages are probably defunct. So I think yeah. these are just very interesting questions to grapple with. And I'm glad that I'm glad that at the SOC, they're starting to think about, you know, how do we document, how do we save things in Dropbox? Print, and, print, at, print out the, the screen and put it in a drawer. That's, I mean, like how goofy, how exciting. I, yeah. I have a, I have a broad question that I need to ask you. Um, why, why, why do you care? Like, so what's the big deal? The SOC, this, uh, this tiny radio station, uh, in a tiny town uh, in Colorado, like, why does someone like you want them to preserve their history anyway? And not their history, their their current activity. Oh, I just think that student activities like college radio are a really important part of the college experience. So I think that that deserves to be preserved for future generations and for scholars and for alumni um, you know, they're making media and for many college radio is one of the most important parts of their college life. So I think it's important. And I think it's also important to work with college archivists who are often interested in saving these things. Like they might be really happy to get a file cabinet full of printed out <laughs> meeting notes and constitutions. Uh -huh. Um, cause it tells the story of, of a period of time on a college campus, a period of time in college radio, a period of time in music, because often stations like, like the sock, they talked a lot. Ebony talked a lot about their relationship to the campus music scene and the music scene in Colorado Springs, you know, so that college radio has plays a role in the music scene. Mm -hmm. So having collecting these stories about all of that, I think is really important. Yeah, I agree. It's exciting. It's just a, we need some people might need a little pep talk, right? And then, <laughs> and then what? What? What should? It, what's a good first step? Say that you know, if you were going to give Ebony Statham, general manager at the Sock, advice about how to start taking those steps, what what would you tell her? Ah, uh, well, I mean, I think she's taking some of those steps already, which is great. I think I think every station general manager should reach out to the college archivist and talk to them and say, hey, do you have? a college radio collection right now uh, and what's in there. And there might be things in there that could help you. Maybe there is an old constitution that their archivist has for all they know. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can just start building a relationship where you pass things along to them. Like maybe every time you do an event, you bring a flyer to the archivist and they, they put it in the files. They may also be able to help you with some systems. They may have some really easy ideas about how to keep track of things. 
And, you know, I think also reaching out to the broader college radio community to get advice, maybe advice on how to archive your programming, so how to save audio files. Space is getting cheaper, so it's it's much easier to save a lot of your programming than it was in the past. Yeah. So, you know, I try not to be daunted by by all of it and um, just start. <laughs> yeah. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for uh, sharing Colorado College's The Sock with us. Should we move on to the next radio station tour you took in July? Sure. Yes, I know. It's no rest for the uh, <laughs> intrepid college radio tour. Um, KVCU Radio, 1190 at the University of Colorado Boulder. Yes. This was station tour number 110. This is much closer to Denver. Um, Boulder's not far from Denver. I trekked out there to learn more about this 10,000-watt AM station, huh? which is pretty cool. Uh, I haven't been to too many AM college radio stations. And throughout my visit to Colorado, I found myself listening to Radio 1190 because it's an AM station with a big signal. Yeah. So you could hear it through much of Colorado. In fact, from... I guess it could be heard from Cheyenne, Wyoming, all the way to Colorado Springs. There you go. So like a huge swath of, of Colorado. So what did you hear? Oh, all kinds of things. You know, it was mostly sort of indie rock type sounds when I was listening, mm -hmm. but um, they also have a lot of specialty programming. I tended to tune in when they were playing indie rock, um, but they have a lot of specialty programming. It's a station that's full of students. There's one professional who's at the helm, and that's who I met with. The general manager there is a professional, um, Mikey Goldenberg. So I got inspired to get into radio in 1998 when I was in college. I was a freshman at the University of Colorado, and I knew I was never going to be an accountant. And so I decided that I'd find a job that suited me a little bit more to my interest level. So I found a commercial radio station and I've been working in radio ever since for the last 16 or 17 years. And then he has eight, eight student managers who are paid mm -hmm. and then around 75 to a hundred participants at the station, including some non-student community DJs. So a variety of people. Um, I thought it was interesting that it's around the same number of participants as Colorado college but obviously a much bigger school community and a much bigger uh, terrestrial footprint. Right. Um, so, you know, the size of your signal doesn't always matter as far as like the number of students who are participating in yeah. your station. So like Colorado College, there's kind of an interesting history, kind of a murky history. <laughs> it's always murky. Yeah. Um, there was an AM station at, at UC Boulder um, starting in 1922 that lasted for a few years. And then in the 1940s, it's unclear to me if they had a carrier current station. They they were involved with the intercollegiate broadcasting system mm -hmm. as a trial member, which would indicate that they were at least talking about having a carrier current station. But um, that will require further research to figure that one out. And then by the late 70s, they there was a satellite station for community radio station KGNU that was operating on campus. Mm -hmm. And then a number of carrier current stations cropped up in the seventies and eighties. And then a number, <laughs> a number. Yeah. Like a few different ones, like all 
all on campus, all like uh, short lived or all running at the same time concurrently? Uh, that I'm a bit unclear on as fascinating. well. I know. Okay. A number, a fascinating number number of carrier current stations uh, on campus at University of Colorado Boulder. Yeah, some of them were sequential. Some of them might have been simultaneous. Are they they Um, competing? Oh, okay. I'll let it go. Yeah, that's exciting um, and weird. Yeah, there have been campuses that have had multiple radio stations. There you go. Stations in different dorms. Sure. You know, why not? Rival, rival radio stations. I love it. Exactly. But there was, um, you know, there was a desire to have a terrestrial signal, which they finally got in 1998. Oh, wow. When, when they acquired the AM signal, 1190 AM. And interestingly, um, the professional general manager, Mikey Goldenberg, he was a student around the time that the AM station started on campus. And he didn't participate in college radio. He actually took a different path um, and started doing commercial radio around that time. But so even though he wasn't participating in this new AM station, he reflected back to me about being in that space and remembering the familiar smell of the basement from those years as a student. There is a distinct smell, not bad, not good. It's just a a smell of the building, a smell of the air that permeates down in this environment uh, in the basement of the University Memorial Center. So it's a mixture of bread baking at the cafeteria and water pipes and the loading dock and tires and fumes and all of that mixed together. It brings back a memory of coming down here and submitting things for classes. I was definitely aware of the radio station as far as my schooling was concerned, but I never took advantage of it. But when I come to work and I, I experience that smell, it definitely takes me back to you know the early 2000s when I was in school and being involved around here. I told Mikey at the time that this is so interesting to me too because my college radio station when I was an undergrad was also in the basement of a dining center mm-hmm. with a really similar smell because uh, it was kind of near probably where they were washing dishes. And and when I go back to the basement of that building, even today, there's still that same smell. Um, so I know exactly what he's talking about. Hmm. Uh, it, but it, And it's also interesting. It's such a familiar college radio space. Um, even when we were talking, we could hear rattling of pipes that were right outside his office Uh and and you might even hear that in some of the interview um and there's a loading dock nearby and it's just i don't know there's something about the college radio basement yeah we're certainly romanticizing it now aren't we pretty pretty awesome yeah um an interesting thing about kvcu is that it's am and like i mentioned i could hear it all over colorado which is pretty awesome like i was saying to him that's amazing that you have this kind of range. Yeah. But despite that, he actually talked about AM being a bit of a liability um, in that the signal quality wasn't yes. always that great. It's it's weird to have um, <laughs> modern <laughs> music. You know, I think about AM being the place to listen to, to 50s music or I mean, it, it's not known for its audio fidelity. Yeah. And and I think increasingly with all of the stuff we have going on technologically today that yeah. that is really hurting um, the sound of AM. Yeah, see past episodes of Radio Survivor where we discuss um, how traffic lights make AM radio sound bad. 
Yeah, it's so. So when I met with him, he was super excited because they were just getting ready to launch um, a new FM translator at ninety eight point nine FM in Boulder Valley. Yeah, that's a big deal. So the station could be heard on FM, and and he really felt like that was going to help actually add an air of legitimacy to what they were doing, which is huh. so fascinating, you know, cause I think, Oh wow, you're already doing so much. But, um, you know, he said that FM is something that people hold dear. And so he was really, really looking forward to that. And I think also if, if you have people flipping through the dial, there might be people who are only listening to FM and aren't listening to AM. So yeah, suddenly go, they're going to be on the FM dial that people flip through to find music. When I'm in the mood for talk radio, I, I'll scan the AM. I will not scan the AM looking for music. Yeah, because yeah, AM is really largely uh, populated by talk radio now. Yeah. So that, you know, that's a big difference. So yeah, that was the big excitement, you know, because they are primarily a music station They've got live DJs and hosts from around seven in the morning until around ten ish at night, mm-hmm. with automation late at night. Um, Starting at ten, though, huh? Yeah, like he said, like nine to eleven ish. Kind of depends on how long people are willing to be scheduled for shows. Sure, because we've we've discussed in the past our love for for late night community and college radio experimentation. That's sort of when. Um, when people get a little more interesting. Yeah, I know. I love, I love the late night radio for sure. The station itself was, was really cool. It was jam packed with music. They have around 10,000 LPs and around 25,000 CDs. So we walked in and the walls were just covered with music. That's always fun for me to poke around and see, see what they have, what stations have in their library. Some of the, it sounds like a lot of the non-student DJs are hosting specialty music shows and it's a real range of programs. There are hip hop shows, spoken word, metal, electronic, and even a Louisiana themed show. Hmm. Um, And they're also really focused on local music too. So they have local bands come in and have a local shakedown show every Friday um, in which they feature local music. And, and they do some video for live performances, which they edit, and and then they push that out on their website under the name KVCU Studio Sessions. Great. So they're, so they're doing a lot. Um, pretty pretty interesting, cool stuff that's music oriented at Radio Eleven Ninety. What I love about college radio is the conversation that it affords. Not just me, but students, faculty, staff, and then going back to our three tenets of community, education, and music. When you think about radio, you think about bottom lines, you think about consolidation, at least in commercial sense, and you think about automated systems taking over people's jobs. And in college radio, because we're not tied to that bottom line, the conversation is different. So when I go out and talk to a potential sponsor or somebody who wants to support us financially, the conversation is not give me your marketing budget and I'll give you a schedule of commercial play. The conversation is I have a giving profile that 
is aligned with your giving profile. I think how you think, I do what you do, I act how you act from our mutual perspective. So it really gets us involved with other nonprofits, other like-minded organizations, people who see the benefit of our message. And as such, our connection might be to a lesser number of people, but we affect a higher percentage based on our conversation. I think it's really cool to think about how college radio is different from commercial radio and, and Mikey comes from a com commercial radio background. So uh, it, it's cool to see how he is embracing this new world where it's an entirely different conversation, where it's about community, where it's about education. Um, and it, it's refreshing. Um, but I think he's also bringing with him sort of the rigor of the, the discipline of commercial radio. And he wants his students to have an experience sure. that is, that's going to help them in the future. But he's also embracing all of the benefits of college radio and its community orientation. Yeah. I'm really glad you spoke with him. It's uh, I just have, I have a big picture notion and as, as podcast producers are allowed to do, I'm going to speak it out loud, even though, um, it would probably be, uh, <laughs> it's a new idea in my mind. Here it goes. This idea that, um, in the past, the way I understood college radio stations, like say in the eighties or in the nineties, um, that they were places that were pushing the envelope of what was possible. Um, you know, commercial radio was still a lively and thriving enterprise, but college radio was where, um, new genres of music were being um were being uh, appreciated in a way that um fed back into commercial radio later right alternative and other types anyway i'm not going to list off genres of music but now in in our decade that we're in in the second decade of the 21st century it seems like college radio is a place where what's great about all radio can sort of like shelter from this massive turmoil of um, of of the the radio industry sort of just um, shedding the past and becoming so automated that there's really like uh, no soul left. And what I mean is like no live people creating the culture together. Um, so it's like college radio now and community radio is a place to protect the past of radio as opposed to pushing the future. But I suppose that might also be uh, the same thing. It's a circle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's so hard. It's hard to generalize about college radio, but I think it can be all of those things. Um, they're college stations that that are actually very similar to commercial stations um, as well, who that, that see themselves as training grounds. And there are college stations that are wildly independent, you know, mm -hmm. that are trying to be very radical and are thinking about the future. So I think it's all of that and more. So so thanks for indulging me in doing two tours on one episode. I it think, was fun. I think it was good to compare them. Yeah, and it's pretty interesting to be at one station with a professional general manager, one with a student general manager, and, and also to see what it's like to be an online station versus a terrestrial station. And then also to see all the things that are similar, you know, active participants and a wide variety of programming. 
So, you know, as always, it's just thrilling to get out there and see different radio stations. Yeah, and the people that make them uh, the places that they are. How wonderful. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much again uh, for joining us for College Radio Watch. It was fun. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening to Radio Survivor this week. Of course, all of uh, Jennifer's write-ups of the station tours that she took are available in the show notes. Uh, you can go on to the website, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. And uh, we also have links, of course, to uh, the other episodes of the podcast that I referenced in this episode of the podcast, uh, podcast number 51, Carrier Current is Cool. Highly recommended if you think Carrier Current is cool or uh, are jealous because you don't have a clue what Carrier Current is and you want to be able to to tell your friends about why it's cool. Also, podcast number 22 uh, was titled We're All Moving to the FM Dial Now, and that's the one where we uh, discuss in in a little bit of detail um, what's happening to the AM frequency of radio and and why it doesn't sound so good uh, this this decade. It used to sound a little bit better. Um, All those show notes, of course, are on the website. Radiosurvivor.com. Uh, my name is Eric Klein. Paul Reese Mandel will be back next week. We have an episode that I'm very excited about. I just recorded an interview. It's in the can with uh, one of my friends and former coworkers who, it is my opinion, that he's uh, really, really, really good at radio. And he works at a really amazing community radio station. And so I uh, took an opportunity to ask him about his job, how he does it, how he approaches news and public affairs programming, how he approaches an interview, how he uh, how he thinks about the role of the journalist in the city that he was working in. Uh, and so that's next week on Radio Survivor, and Paul will be back with me then. Uh, you can help us out by going to our website and listening to previous episodes, subscribing to the podcast, supporting the work via our Patreon campaign. Uh, if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, you can help us out by going to the platform that you listen on, be it iTunes or the Google Play app or the Stitcher or the Overcast um, and, and so on, and rate and review us. All of those platforms have a rate and review system and every time that you uh, engage in that uh, tiny amount of work on our behalf and on your behalf it it really helps us out more people will um will know that we are there well uh thank you so much for listening everybody see you next week